I think I'm going to move this plant. It's looking a little precarious. And I'm just going to put that down on the ground there. Excellent. Well, the children, uh, boy, they seem to, it's three cheers for the education system, I guess. <laughs> so they're picking up on stuff. And uh, I don't know, I, either way, if they saw the bulletin cover and read the word photosynthesis on there, or whether they knew it from school, they get props either way for being able to read it and pronounce it and know it and use it at the right time. When you think of Jesus, what are some attributes or characteristics that come to mind? And I'm going to actually, normally I would ask you to shout this out, but this is a bit rhetorical this morning, so I should warn you maybe. But what are some attributes that come to mind when you think about Jesus? Or when you think about the church or when you think about disciples? I would probably guess that joy is not high on the list. That when you think about Jesus, there are lots of attributes and characteristics, but we probably don't think about joy. And when we think about the church or when we think about discipleship, probably joy isn't one that comes to mind readily. And yet, Jesus had a profound joy. The writer in Hebrews says that for the joy that was set before Jesus, he actually endured the cross. Jesus says of himself that he has joy. And what we want to explore for just a few minutes this morning, because we're also going to talk about what is going to uh, give some visibility into the year ahead. But what I wonder is how can we as followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, as Westview the church, how can we tap into Jesus' joy? How does that develop within our congregation, within our families? Jesus was with his disciples. It was about three years into his public ministry, and he was entering Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, at the time of the festival or the feast of Passover, as Hanukkah was describing in our communion time last Sunday. So he entered Jerusalem, he was with his disciples, and they were in an upper room of a building right downtown Jerusalem. And Jesus was talking to his disciples about the fact that he was leaving. And it was becoming quite emotional. And he he spoke words of comfort. He talked about this concept of heaven. They had this Passover meal together, but then he, he changed the significance. He transformed the significance of the Passover meal in talking about what we now call as communion. He transformed the significance of it. And then, as John records, he even washed the disciples' feet Clearly, something profound was going on. And then, after a short time, they left the room, and they went outside. And by now, it was getting dark. They moved and walked towards the east end of Jerusalem, out into the Kidron Valley. And Jesus was describing to his disciples, he was explaining that he was going to be transitioning his mission to them. And he was leaving. 
You know, when I think of where we are in history right now, we come together at this point, September 2022. This has been a very strange couple of years. And now, since it has not been since 2019 that we've had a September kickoff like this in schools, work, and church. And we come with a mix, a cocktail of emotions. There is optimism. We're positive. There's a sense of, of opportunity and coming together again. But there's also a bit of a weightiness, a bit of a discouragement as well. Because things are not the way they were. They won't be. Some people have been returning to church and some people have not been returning to church. Some people, it seems, have been holding their faith loosely and have, it almost would seem, have let it go. And I would say for us here in the West particularly, the challenge of this pandemic has brought a challenge and attention to our faith that most of us living today have not ever, ever experienced before. And it used to be that people would go to church out of obligation or because it was the right thing to do, and that it seems to be pretty much gone. If, if Christendom was established and was beginning to unravel, this pandemic period has dis pretty much eroded or dismantled it. And those of you that are gathered here this morning in person or by live stream, you have gathered here by choice. You have made an effort. You have decided with your children or with your friend or you've come by yourself, you have made the choice to be here on live stream or in person out of your choice and by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And in essence, those that are gathered here this morning at Westview, and those that are gathered in other churches are, for all intents and purposes, what I would call a remnant. Locating ourselves in God's salvific history, there have always been periods of difficulty and challenge, but there has always been a remnant. People, God's people, that have remained. And through them, he has done profound work. And what is clear is what we need, what we desire, and what we truly need is joy. And I mean a kind of joy that is beyond the buzz, beyond a momentary happiness. I mean a state of joy. I mean, the kind of joy that can help us manage either through the day-to-day, -day, but also to give us a sense of, of purpose and hope for the future. And the good news is that Jesus wants us to have that kind of joy. He wanted the disciples to have and understand that joy that he has, and he wants us to understand it. Not just any kind of joy. We're talking about Jesus' joy. The kind of joy that he had that he wanted to share with his disciples and he wants to continue to share with us. How do we tap into that? How does that develop among us? 
So Jesus is outside. It's dark. He's at the east end of Jerusalem in the Kidron Valley. There is a plot to kill him. And he begins to speak what is called a mashal. It's an extended parable or metaphor. It's a rhetorical technique to, to explain and give and convey a deep and important message. And we find it in John chapter 15, starting at verse 1. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be granted to you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be complete. Jesus, when He is saying you, it's actually what our neighbors to the south would say, y'all. It's plural. Unfortunately, English is not so clear on some of these things. Other languages are. When I was with the crossover church, in their Japanese language, the, uh, the plural, singular, are very clear. So here, when it says you, Jesus is talking to the group. He's not just talking to one individual. He's instructing the group. And what he is explaining and desiring is that they bear fruit. And we understand that those are attributes or virtues like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. But there's more to this fruit that he is referring to. It is also a blessing and a bounty that good things will happen. You will bear fruit. You will flourish. The positive results of the gospel will be realized in your life and within and among you. And he has this amazing proclamation that he says. He says, if you ask, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This profound statement that he makes about prayer. But do you notice that it is conditional? Look at the start of that verse. 
what he says in verse 7. If. 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 It's conditional. It's conditional on abide. The Greek word is meno. The word abide is used 11 times here by Jesus. Maybe in your Bible translation is the word remain or stay or connect. Abide or remain is full. It's a full meaning. It means to be open and receptive to cling, but there's an openness and a, and a resolve to be there. And you notice that if we abide, if we abide, he says, you will become disciples. He's speaking to the disciples. He's speaking to the group. And he's saying, already, they've been with Jesus on and off for three years. And he's saying, if you abide, if you remain, if you do that, you will become disciples. Because discipling and becoming a disciple is a lifelong journey of growing for the group, for the church, for the congregation as individuals. And what's so amazing he says, abide in me. And he uses these words and it goes back and forth because there's this mutuality that is going on. There's a mutuality. He says, you abide in me and I abide in you. And then he says, the Father is abiding in me and I'm abiding in the Father. And that's why this word abide is so rich because there's this sense of mutuality. And what is the mutual thing that's going on? And that's why using this uh, uh, mashal of the vine and the plant is so profound. Because there's this love that is going on. Between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's a love that is flowing. These three. And they have a love between them. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, if you remain in my love, if you remain in the Trinitarian love, you will experience and develop joy. In the sermon supplement, I put Trinitarian love is joy. I would like to correct that and say Trinitarian love produces joy. It's like divine photosynthesis. When I was talking to the children, it was, it's just so amazing. Okay, so I'm excited because the, the, all of creation is testifying to the greatness of our Creator in small ways and in great ways. Photosynthesis. Yeah. Photosynthesis. Light. Water. And what we breathe out, those three come together to provide a food. And when we hear what Jesus is saying, he's saying the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what flows is this, this creation. What flows among them is this love. And if we stay and remain and abide in the Trinity, that love is the very life and will produce the joy that the church desires and needs. And from that, fruit will come. The church will flourish. The remnant will grow. Fruit will follow. This joy is not cheap. 
This joy is not easy. It comes from a faithfulness and a commitment and a relationship to remain with our Trinitarian God in the difficult and in the challenge and in the no matter what. So as we go about our days and we look at a branch, we look at a tree, we look at a vine, let it remind us to abide, to be branchy, to be branches. And the fruit will follow. It will produce a joy and a fruit in your homes, in your lives, in our church. I want to invite the music team to come up to the platform. I want to give you a, a little glimpse of the year ahead. I believe that as a church, our, a, a, a profound calling that he has given us is to abide in the Trinitarian love. That is our task, our first task. And from that, the fruit will follow. So we are going to begin our first sermon series coming up. will be on spiritual gifts. Every person in our congregation who has said yes and accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord is given, is endowed with a spiritual gift by the Holy Spirit. And so our first series, we will unwrap and discover the spiritual gifts that all of you have. And we will seek to be a church that is spiritual gift-led in our ministry. Gift-based ministry. And then from there, we're going to, during our Advent season, we're going to hear from the prophet Isaiah. And he will help us to put what we call Christmas into a context, into the context of God's overarching salvific plan. And then in the new calendar year, we will start a series in the book of Acts. And we will learn through the first church that begins to develop in the book of Acts, we will learn about the work, the power, and the majesty, and the capabilities of the Holy Spirit, and what that looks like for the church. And then we will move into the resurrection season, and we have some uh, plans for some special services during Passion Week in next year. And then a series from Paul during that resurrection season, where we're going to hear him talk about heaven. And his wager, his all-or-nothing wager, Paul puts it all uh, acutely on the line. And following that season in that series, we're going to have, again, this little mini-series called You Asked For It, where we're going to take questions that you have submitted, and we will develop sermons based on those questions. And then moving into the summer, we're going to delve into a mighty and cathartic Psalm 139. And we're going to take our time and go through that psalm. And then following that, we will have some good advice for daily living from some of the Proverbs. And that will bring us through this next teaching year. And the theme throughout is to abide. Abide in God's Trinitarian love, and the fruit will follow.
new song this morning. It's just going to be a theme for the fall. It's called Abide With Me. So as you catch on and sing, we're going to sing it a couple times through. 